friends. Guys, we're back again for another. You guys, welcome to my channel. Welcome back to our podcast. We are recording at 2.15 p.m. on a Saturday. Is it really 2.15? Jeez. Okay. So, I'm going to tell you guys about J.C. Dugard. Okay. Do you know who that is? No. Oh, okay. I was expecting a reaction. (laughs) Paige said she was into true crime, so I was expecting a reaction. I true crime, but I have only listened to my favorite murder, and I select my episodes very carefully. Ah, yeah, yeah. I don't think they've covered this. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm not going to spoil anything. We're just going to go into it knowing nothing. That'll be fun. Okay, so first I'll give you some background on her. Um, So J.C. Dugard was born May 3rd, 1980. Her family moved from Arcadia, Los Angeles County to Myers, South Lake Tahoe in September 1990. J.C. was 11 years old at the time this story begins. And in fifth grade, she was close to her mother, Terry Probin. She has a little baby sister and... um, She's not in touch with her biological father, Ken Slayton, and he actually didn't even know about her until the story unfolds. Um, Her mother was married to a different man named Carl Proven, who JC never really got along with, or she wasn't close to. The other major characters in this story are Philip and Nancy Gerido or Garrido. Philip was born April 5th, 1951 in Pittsburgh, California. Which I didn't even know was a place. Yeah. Grew up in Brentwood. Who? The other girl? The woman? Philip. Grew up in Brentwood. In Pittsburgh, California? He was born in Pittsburgh, grew up in Brentwood. Ah, I gotcha. Okay. He was a... He considered himself a self-styled evangelist. Nancy was born in July 18th, 1955, so... Four years later, in Seguin, Texas. Mm. She was a nursing aide and a physical therapy aide. In 1972, Philip was arrested and charged with... Oh, I guess I should start this off um, by saying the story does include child sex abuse. Uh, There is a somewhat happy ending. Um, So, in 1972, Philip was arrested and charged with repeatedly sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl after he gave her barbiturates. And, in case you don't know what barbiturates are, they are, quote, a drug that acts as a central nervous system depressant, end quote. They used to be used to treat anxiety and insomnia, and today they are still used to treat epilepsy as a general anesthesia, treatment of cluster headaches or acute migraines, acute tension headaches, assisted suicide, euthanasia, and capital punishment. So he gave this girl a drug that you would take to kill someone. So How he could that I don't know, but this isn't JC. This is a different girl. This is just his background. Um, They also carry psychological and physical addiction risks, and the case sadly did not go to trial because the victim was not comfortable testifying. In 1973, he married Christine Murphy, who he went to high school with, and she accused him of domestic violence. When she attempted to leave him, he kidnapped her. In 1976, he kidnapped Catherine Calloway, who was 25 years old at the time, in South Lake Tahoe, California. 
he took her to a warehouse where he repeatedly sexually assaulted her for five and a half years five and a half years oh my god no five and a half hours sorry big difference there very big um also i do mention sexual assault a few times i will not go into further detail of uh what i mean by that but it's not hard to find out if you google it this information is all easily found so i am choosing to be vague Catherine was rescued and philip was arrested after a police officer saw a car parked outside the warehouse and the broken lock on the door so he, they literally he just broke into a random warehouse to assault her when the officer went to the door philip answered it and Catherine then appeared asking for help and he was convicted convicted in both state and federal courts he was diagnosed as a chronic drug abuser and sexual deviant in a court-ordered psych eval in 1976 neurological examination was recommended by the psychiatrist to determine if his drug use could have something to do with his sexual deviation neurologist albert f peterman evaluated him and he reported that philip showed quote considerable evidence of anxiety and depression and personality disorder end quote which i mean like same bro but i don't hurt people what year is this uh 76 in court, Philip testified that he masturbated outside elementary and high schools in his cars while watching female students. He was convicted on March 9, 1977 and sentenced to 50 years in federal custody, which he began serving on June 30th at Leavenworth Penitentiary in Kansas. This prison is where he met Nancy Bocanegra, who was visiting her uncle there. She ended up being his wife. That's her maiden name. Um, October 5th, 1981, the two got married at the prison. So cringy. Wait, so they met when she was visiting? She was visiting her uncle at the prison he went to. Yeah. Uh, at the prison he went to. At the prison he was incarcerated in, <laughs> and her uncle was incarcerated there too, and she went to visit her uncle and met Philip. Oh my god. January 22nd, 1988, Philip was released. Hmm. Funny, he was sentenced to 50 years, only a couple, uh... 11 years before that so he only served 11 of his 50 oh wait no he totally was not released he was transferred i don't know why i wrote that he was released <laughs> he was sent to nevada state prison to serve a f um a sentence of five to life so i guess they changed the sentence and then moved him mm -hmm. but he only served seven more months mm. august 25th he was transferred to the custody federal parole authorities in Contra Costa County, which I love saying Contra Costa County. Um, Is that in California? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The couple moved into his mother's home in Antuich, and Philip had to wear a GPS enable ankle bracelet and receive visits from federal agents, parole officers, and local sheriff deputies. In 2009, Manuel. Garrido. Oh, now we skip to 2009? Yes, it's so it's just an interview with his father talking about his childhood. Okay. So this, like, sorry, so the quotes and whatever, or I guess there's not quotes, but this is um, just about his family life still. So it's just his father talking about what kind of kid he was. So in 2009, Manuel Garrido, Philip's father, was interviewed and he said his son was a good kid until he was in a serious motor motorcycle accident as a teen which we hear all the damn time about serial killers and stuff getting head injuries after that his behavior changed drastically he then became 
began using LSD and crystal meth, among other drugs. And then his father passed away in 2011. Not that that's overly relevant, but I decided to include it. Now we're going to go back in time again. On June 10th, 1991, JC was walking up the hill from her house to catch her school bus. When she was about halfway up the hill, the Garritos pulled up beside her in, a, in their gray car. She assumed it was someone asking for directions. Philip rolled down the window and tased her. Nancy dragged her into the car and removed her clothing. Nancy's helping. There's a loon. I just heard it. Maybe it saw my floating. <laughs> yeah, Nancy's helping. Nancy uh, helps a lot. It's not good. Um, so the only thing left on JC was a small butterfly ring that she kept hidden from them the entire time they held her ca captive. Nancy covered JC with a blanket, and JC drifted in and out of consciousness over the next three hours as they drove to the Garrido's home 120 miles away. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I included this. I might have been like the later stuff, but in case I didn't. So she has a book, and she has an organization, and the logo's like a little pine cone. And she talks about how, like, for years after she was obsessed with pine cones and couldn't figure out why. And then with the help of her psychologist, she realized it was because that was, as she was being pulled into the car, that was, the, she grabbed one. So it was the last thing she held in her hand before she was captive. Mm -hmm. Ma'am. Mm -hmm. The only thing she said on the drive to them, it was that her parents could not afford ransom. Carl, her stepdad, witnessed the abduction. He saw the car make a U-turn and saw Nancy grab JC. He tried to chase the car on a bicycle, but he couldn't catch up. Well, did he get their license plate number or anything? He told the police he believed the car was possibly a Mercury Monarch. Some classmates waiting at the bus stop also saw it happen. She was literally just walking to her bus stop, and he was watching out the window. So, now I'm going to tell you about... Um where she lived when she was with them, where they held her. So JC's living quarters were in the Garrido's second backyard behind the house. So it was almost like a second property. This yard included two ho homemade tents, multiple sheds, and a camping style toilet and shower. The area was surrounded by tall trees and a six to eight foot fence. And the en entrance to the yard was hidden um, and it was covered by a tarp and trees. Oh, I almost dropped my phone. So, like, she kind of had free range when she was locked in? Well... She was locked in the fence. At first, she's contained to, like, one building, but as time goes on, she can go in the yard sometimes. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. This is just the details of the property. Then I'll tell you about what it was like for her living with them. The car that they used in the abduction was also kept back there, so they literally only used it to grab her, and then they hid it. Electricity was run back there using extension cords from the house, which is so sketch. And Philip soundproofed one of the sheds, but not for what you think. He used it as a recording studio to record himself singing romantic country and religious songs. So next i'll tell you i have this like broken down into quite a few spots just to make sense of it all 
Um, so this is just like, hmm. see, it's hard because since you guys don't know the case already, like there's one point I could say now, but it's kind of a spoiler since you don't know anything. So I'll just decide as I go. So both JC's biological and stepfather were initial suspects, but both were qu quickly cleared, especially like. Her biological father didn't even know she existed until then, and her stepfather tried to help. So they were cleared very quickly, but you have to look at everyone. Mm -hmm. Within hours, it was spread across local and national news. Within days, dozens of local people volunteered to help in the search. Within weeks, tens of thousands of posters and flyers were mailed to various businesses throughout the United States. Their town was covered in pink ribbons because pink was her favorite color to demonstrate support for her family and to serve as a constant reminder that she was missing. Terry, her mom, founded a group called JC's Hope, which led the volunteer efforts to raise money for poster materials, printing, postage, and other related expenses. They sold t-shirts, buttons, and sweaters to raise awareness as well. It's kind of wild. Like, when was the last time that so many people did something like that for like a case well not that long ago there was that little boy who wandered into the woods and was missing for like three full days and there was tons of people out there looking for him hmm. and he was fine too it was super weird he was completely fine like didn't like he was a bit malnourished because he hadn't had yeah. food or anything but he wasn't overly injured he was obviously alive like he recovered just fine but i mean kids also just roll with the punches better especially if you're two and you don't understand yeah. what happens you're just gonna go play and fall asleep when you fall asleep and if there's no big animals out there interested in him yeah then he's fine yeah personally i like to think a friendly bear family took him in <laughs> but realistically probably not well and look at all of the widespread media coverage of gabby petito's case yeah. and everybody was posting so much because they traveled across the country to get different information i can think of a couple cases where there was like a lot of interest like this recently but okay. i mean it's usually white girls but a reward for information learning leading to her safe return was offered and noted on the flyers and posters America's Most Wanted aired an episode on her disappearance on June 14th, 1991, which was, oh god, I don't, uh, four days later, not very long after. Over the ensuing years, there were fundraising events, candlelight vigils, and education. 1991? I thought we were in 1976. No, that was when he abducted his first girl and uh, then got out and everything. Alright. He abducted JC June 10th, 1991. Okay. I believe. Let me double check. Yeah, June 10th, 1991 was when they grabbed her. Okay, so now I'm going to tell you what it was like for her in captivity. And this is the sadder stuff, but I won't get too graphic. When they first arrived at the house, Philip made JC take a shower with him so he could clean her off and not leave evidence, I guess. So behind the home in this other yard that I mentioned before, um, they put JC in one that was soundproofed and they left her naked and handcuffed. Because remember, they took her clothes off in the car. Yeah. And Philip told her that he had a 
had Doberman pinchers outside ready to attack her if she tried to escape. He didn't. Mm -hmm. During her first week, she was kept in handcuffs, and she only saw him when he would occasionally bring her some fast food. And she was also given a bucket to use as a toilet, even though there was a camping toilet out there, but whatever. Yeah, but she wasn't allowed to leave that house yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess so he didn't have to check on her all the time, but... He sexually assaulted JC for the first time one week after they abducted her. He continued to do so for at least... Do so at least once a week, some weeks almost daily, for the first three years. A few weeks into her abduction, she was given a television, but she was not allowed to watch the news. So JC had no idea how large the search for her had become. According to JC's recollection, nearly a month after her kidnapping, she was moved into a larger room and handcuffed to the bed there. He told her that society had ignored him and the, quote, demon angels that had let him take her so that she could help him with his sexual problems. He would binge methamphetamine and while on the drug he would have jc dress up and wear makeup while he would hang out with her and cut pictures out of porn magazines how old was she again she is 11 he said he could hear voices from the walls and would get her to listen for them he would go back and forth between threatening to sell her to people who would keep her in a cage and crying and apologizing to her he also proclaimed that he was the chosen servant of god Mm-hmm. Seven months into holding her captive, Philip formally introduced her to J- introduced JC to Nancy. So after like the initial kidnapping, Nancy was kind of out of the picture, and he took control. Um, and then they were reintroduced. Okay. Nancy brought her chocolate milk and a stuffed animal, and she also offered tearful apologies. Like, okay, bitch, but you're the one that grabbed her. Nancy went on to go back and forth between being a motherly figure and being cold and cruel. She also expressed jealousy of JC for getting more attention and blamed the girl for her situation. During one period of time, Philip had returned to prison for failing one of his drug tests. Nancy took over as JC's captor. In two manipulation attempts, the couple gave JC kittens that would later disappear mysteriously. JC kept a journal about the kittens, and when they found out she had been signing the entries with her real name, she was forced to rip out the pages where she said her name, and she was never again allowed to say or write her real name while they held her. What, what name did they give her? Um, they didn't. Oh, she did. Okay. Yep. JC was never allowed to see a dentist or a doctor, which isn't surprising at all, but... Approximately three years after the kidnapping, JC was finally allowed out of the handcuffs while still locked in a room. Three years in handcuffs. That's like the was it Jordan Turpin recently? They were shooting chains so for like years Mm -hmm. and years and years. It's crazy. I know it's terrifying. Like what do they do all day? Nothing. Yeah. Sleep. Try not to think about your situation. Think about your family and how much you miss them. All you really could do was think and cry and sleep. On April 3rd, 1994, which also was Easter Sunday that year, the Garritos gave JC cooked food for the first time. So they'd only really been giving her like fast food and shit. They also, on this day, told her they believed she was pregnant. She was 
13 years old and approximately four and a half months pregnant. They thought she was pregnant? How? So she had no symptoms and just thought she was pregnant? Well, they probably... Well, she was 13 and she was kidnapped at 11, so she probably had no idea herself. Okay, so suspected. Mm Mm-hmm. She wasn't showing signs or anything? I I assume they think she was because she was showing signs. But she wouldn't have known because she was so young when she was kidnapped. Like, at 11, I wouldn't have known what it means to be pregnant. And she's been in captivity this whole time. JC then watched... Oh, she learned about how you got pregnant from a TV show. And she watched TV programs about childbirth to prepare herself. Mm. Her first daughter was born August 18th, 1994. Wait, I feel like I have heard Probably. After the birth, Philip sexually assaulted JC less frequently, primarily when he was on drugs. The last time he ever assaulted her was the day her second daughter was conceived. And now I'm going to just quickly go back to that one point that I didn't want to read because I thought it would spoil things. While JC was pregnant with her first child, her mother Terry was raising money to hire private investigators with rummage sales and distributing millions of flyers with a sketch of what JC would look like as a teen across the country. So her mom's efforts never slowed, never stalled, nothing. She just kept trying the whole time. Her second daughter was born November 13th, 1997. JC was 17. She learned how to care for her daughters from information she learned on TV. And she also worked to protect them from Philip, who continued with his enraged lectures and rants. The neighbor, Patrick McQuaid, once met JC through the fence when he was a child soon after she was taken. She had introduced herself as JC and told him she lived there. Philip saw her and took her back inside and eventually built an eight-foot fence. Wait, you found me this neighbor like then? Knew her name, knew she was back there. Yeah, but he was a little kid. Oh, the neighbor was a kid too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but like, everybody's talking about it. Like, I'm just going to be like, oh, mommy, I saw her. Or like, something like that. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that his parents would believe him. Not enough to hold accountable. Yeah. yeah. JC coped by homeschooling her daughters and planting flowers in the garden. So she was obviously eventually allowed outside. Philip told JC that she was to pretend to and teach her daughters that Nancy was their mother and JC was their older sister. And eventually they started to be exposed to outside people and had to keep out the story. Philip opened a print shop where JC worked as a graphic artist. During this period, she had access to a business email account and phone. A customer, Bill Dodrill, recalled meeting her and speaking with her on the phone. Now, while talking about this it's important to note that she has been held captive by these people for six years now so she no longer knows another life and she's probably so afraid of them to even do anything but this does come back up philip kept a blog where he claimed he was able to control sound with his mind He even asked several people, including some of his customers, to sign testimonials that they had witnessed his ability to control sound with his mind, and that they had seen a device he had developed to help people see this. Witnesses who were later interviewed said they saw JC in the house and and she even answered the door a couple times but never attempted to leave or expressed there was a problem. The girls were sometimes seen in the couple's car and playing in the backyard. The Garritos repeatedly told JC that her family did not love her or want her back. So next I'm going to tell you about the um, missed rescue opportunities. 
when they came close and could have rescued her, but did not. Law enforcement failed to make the connection that JC was kidnapped in the same area as Philip's 1976 kidnapping and sexual assault of Catherine Hall. That alone, when he lives 120 miles away, isn't a big indicator on its own, but in retrospect it is. On April 22nd, 1992, less than a year after JC was taken, a man called the Contra Costa County Sheriff's Office two miles from the Garrido home at a gas station to report he had seen JC in the gas station staring at a missing poster of herself. Oh wow, that must be sick. Yeah, and this is less than a year after, so. He reported seeing her leave in a large Dodge yellow van. After JC was found, investigators recovered a yellow Dodge van from the Garrido property. During the call, the license plate was not reported and the van was gone by the time the police arrived. The caller never identified themselves. However, JC said she never lost the property until 1994, shortly before her first daughter was born, which makes more sense considering the fact that she was in handcuffs for three years, so maybe it was just someone who looked similar. Yeah, but like, what are the odds that the same type of car was there? Yeah. Or, oh, I guess it says it was a man. I was gonna say it could have been Nancy, but no. The caller was a man? Yeah. It's <laughs> that still unknown? Yeah. Who called in? Yeah. Well. Maybe it was someone who knew them, yeah. but didn't want to get involved. Right, yeah. yeah. Or were scared if they got involved, then they would go Yeah. Away. In June 2002, the local fire department responded to a call about a juvenile with a shoulder injury from a swimming pool incident on the Garrido's property. This information was never passed on to his parole officer. If it had been, it would have red, raised red flags because they had no record of a pool or juveniles on his property. And he wouldn't be allowed to be around children. Yeah. But his parole officer was never told. The police were never told. In 2006, a neighbor called the police to report children living in tents in the backyard. The neighbor also told dispatch that Philip had sexual addictions and is psychotic. Your fucking neighbor knows that about you? Yeah. I don't know anything about my neighbors. Was this back when, like, sexual predator records were public? Like, someone could see if your neighbor was a... I have no idea. They are still. What? I think they are. They are still. They are still what? Public. No, but at this time... Oh, you're asking if they were yet? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It was 2006. Oh, I thought we were back in the 90s. No, we are, we have jumped to 2006. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. We just, this last point was 2006 okay. with the neighbor calling the police. A deputy sheriff spoke to Philip for 30 minutes at the front of the house, but only at the front of the house. Mm-hmm, he told Philip that there would be a code violation if he had people living outside on his property, but he did not search. So you're going to get in trouble, but we're not going to make sure you're not doing it. On August 24th, 2009, Philip went to the San Francisco FBI office and left a four-page essay suggesting that he had found a cure for problem behaviors like his previous crimes. It contained his ideas about sexuality and religion. It claimed that he had cured his criminal sexual behaviors and his method could be used for curing other sexual predators. His method? Well... By, and then he said, quote, by controlling human ilpo- impulse, let me start that over. By controlling human impulses that drives humans to commit dysfunctional acts, end quote. However, I don't know the details on what his methods were. Mm-hmm. Just that he thought he had an idea, but I'm not sure if he even talked about it. 
or if it was keeping a child at home to do it and then you won't hurt other kids is probably his logic also on august 24th he went to the university of california's berkeley berkeley's police office with jc's two daughters he spoke to special events manager lisa campbell as he was seeking permission to host a special event on campus as part of his god's desire program she thought his behavior was erratic and the two girls appeared submissive and sullen she made philip an appointment for the next day campus officer ali jacobs ran a background check on philip and discovered that he was on federal parole for kidnapping and rape and was a registered sex offender so this lady was on top of shit jacobs attended philip's meeting with lisa the next day he brought the two girls again and jacobs said they were so pale it was like they hadn't been exposed to sunlight and she felt something was not right about their behavior she called his parole officer and left a voicemail with all her concerns about his parole violations two parole officers went to the garrido home the next day after hearing jacob's voicemail they immediately handcuffed him and searched the home but in the home they only found nancy and philip's elderly mother so they're literally also living with his mom this entire time they took him in anyways and en route he claimed the two girls were a relative's daughters and he said he had permission to have them that day however he was not allowed to associate with minors and the campus was 15 miles or 24 kilometers farther than he was allowed to travel from his home without permission from his parole officer so he broke a couple things there after reviewing his file with the supervisor they returned him home but asked him to return the next day to follow up on the concerns about the two girls and discuss his visit to uc berkeley when philip returned he brought nancy the two girls and jc who he introduced as Alyssa. the girls were of a course separated from from philip jc maintained that her name was Alyssa. she told officer that that she was the girl's mother and she was aware that philip was a registered sex offender and stated that he was good with kids and a changed man the two girls said similar things when pressed further jc became agitated and defensive and wanted to know why she was being interrogated she claimed she was from minnesota and in hiding from her abusive husband the parole officer called the concord police for assistance once the police sergeant arrived, Philip admitted that he had kidnapped and raped the girl, being JC. The Concord police officer, oh, sorry. The Concord police called in officer Todd Stroud to look after JC and her daughters because of his experience as a school resource officer. JC admitted to Shroud that she was, oh, it's a little squirrel. I love the chipmunk, <laughs> No, it's a red squirrel. Chipmunks have stripes on their backs. How was it? He just ran that way. Oh, thanks, bro. Oh, it's a chipmunk. I would love a little squirrel pet. Not a red one, though. They're crazy. A black squirrel. Black or gray. Okay. JC admitted to Shroud that she was the girl who had gone missing back in 1991. Both Philip and Nancy were immediately arrested by the FBI. An FBI agent got JC's mother, Terry Proven, on the phone to talk to her daughter. Really, Home Slice? That's a squirrel. That's yeah, the squirrel. Yeah. Media outlets quickly heard and descended on the police station, which is just so fucking disrespectful. 
With the help of some other officers, Shroud snuck JC and her daughters out the back into an unmarked police car and took them to a local hotel. The three of them only had the clothes on their backs. JC's youngest daughter had been raising hermit crabs and missed them desperately, so Shroud and Tim Grayson went to retrieve them. Where did they get the hermit crabs from? I guess Philip let them get them. Oh my god. Probably so they'd shut up. Yeah, like, he would have had to buy toys and everything, probably. Yeah. And he would have had to buy, like, baby stuff and... Theoretically, but, I mean, who knows? He yeah. just gave JC a bucket and had her handcuffed to a bed for the first three years, so... Yeah, that's valid. The next day, August 27, 2009, JC was reunited with her mother and, and her daughters. Philip was sentenced to 431 years to life oh to serve at California State Prison Corcoran in Central Valley. Okay, here's one that'll piss you off. Nancy was sentenced to 36 years to life to serve at the California Institution for Women in Southern California. Wow. So, There's more. She could be. Not she could. In 2009, Contra Costa County Sheriff Warren E. Roof issued an apology to the Dugards for the mistakes made in the 2006 incident when the, I believe that's when the parole officer came by and was like, don't do this, but didn't look. Yeah. On November 4th, 2009, the California Office of the Inspector General issued a report of all the things the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation did or didn't do that contributed to JC's length of captivity. Philip was classified as only needing low-level supervision, which is insane when he has a um, history of kidnapping and sexually assault assaulting minors. One parole officer even met JC in the home. Philip told him she was his brother's daughter, and the officer believed it, despite his brother telling the police officer that he doesn't have children. Wow. How fucked is that? Very. JC's stepdad, Carl Proben, confirmed in days following the reunion that the three girls were in good health and the reunion was going well. He said her daughters were very intelligent. He also said they had cried when they found out Philip was arrested. Which would have been so difficult for that her makes, parents yeah. and for her, yeah. but they don't know anything else. Right, that, that does make sense. Mm-hmm. They know he's their father. Tina Dugard, JC's aunt, said that her daughters are curious, articulate, and clever girls. It was later suggested that JC showed signs of Stockholm Syndrome. Mm. However, in a 2016 ABC News interview with Diane Sawyer, JC expressed her dislike for the term. She said, quote, The phrase implies the hostages cracked by terror and abuse become affectionate towards their captors. Well, it's re repalling. It's degrading. You know, having my family believe that I was in love with this captor and wanted to stay with him? I mean, that is so far from the truth and it makes me want to throw up. I adapted, I adapted to save... Oh my God. I adapted to survive my circumstance. End quote. She stated that her cooperation was a survival tactic and that many victims are forced to sympathize with their captors in order to survive their situation. I just gotta swipe to the next page. 
president of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, Ernie Allen, said JC's reappearance is significant for other families of long-term missing children because it gives hope that their children can still be found. Mm-hmm. So, because she was missing for a long time. 18 years. Yeah, well. Another abduction survivor, Sean Hornbuck. Wait, so she was 29 when they found her? Yep. Another abduction survivor, Sean Hornbeck, said, quote, Coming out of what she's had to endure is like entering a new world. It's like a door has opened for her and she's emerged from a world that's black and white into one that's full of color, end quote. He said that she was brainwashed by Philip and now needs to be able to move on with her life. On October 14, 2009, People magazine published the first verified photo of JC as an adult on their cover. JC published her memoir, A Stolen Life, a memoir, on July 12, 2001, which I've read. It's really good, but it's really difficult because she does go into detail um, about how she was treated and what they did to her. So it's very difficult to read. Um, yeah, but it's good. Like, if you can handle reading it, it's, it's good to read, to just be aware of shit like this and give her validation it's really good i read it read it when i was fairly young probably too young but anyways jc now has a non-profit foundation called the jc foundation it helps facilitate reuniting trauma victims with their families provides secluded safe spaces for victims to recover has a focus on animal assisted therapy and holds workshops for caregivers are her kids like in hi- not in hiding are they in the public eye still as none of them are okay. that's one thing that's really nice about how this case ended is everyone's just kind of left them alone yeah. yeah that's good like she's done a few things like the people magazine thing she did an interview with oprah she's done a couple interviews mm-hmm. but for the most part everyone's been the media has been very respectful yeah, of good. her choosing to not be in the public eye that's which good. is really Give good some shot of a normal so, yeah how old are her and her kids now well her she's 29 now or oh, that's when she got out in she was 11 in 1991 11? 1980 so she's 42 oh, she's oh okay yeah. and her youngest was born in 97 so a little bit older than us yeah only two years her youngest is only two years older than us her youngest is only 25 yeah yeah Mm -hmm. here let me see when her oldest was born um her first daughter was born in 98 so she's 28 same age as my sister actually her birthday was just recently her birthday was august 18th then her second daughter was born november 13th 1997 Mm -hmm. okay so stockholm syndrome the name comes from a 1973 case from stockholm sweden where bank robbers held hostages captive for six days this does not happen to every captor or abuse victim and there is no clear reason why or when it does or does not happen so it's there's no clear reason there's no indicator of it would happen to me but not to you like there's no way to tell It is a psychological response abuse victims and hostages experience. Over days, weeks, months, or years, the victim develops a positive feeling and even a psychological connection to their abuser captor. 
This can lead to the victim feeling like they have a, have common causes and goals with their abuser. And they may develop negative feelings toward authorities and police and can begin to resent anyone trying to help them escape. Which I feel like I've heard of a few times before where it's just they've been there so long they don't know anything different. Right. Especially like in abusive relationships yeah. or like domestic violence especially with kids. Like the kids hate the cops because they've been told... If you tell anyone, the cops will take daddy away. But what they don't yeah. understand is that's a good thing. Yep. Yeah. Medical professionals, including psychologists, of course, consider it to be a way victims try to handle and survive their situation and or a coping mechanism, which is basically the same thing. But yeah, at its core, Stockholm Syndrome is believed to be a survival instinct. So I guess kind of like a fight or flight reaction type of thing. Like this is how I'm going to survive my situation by going along with this. And then maybe after going along with it long enough, it just becomes normal. It's what's yeah. expected. And same with domestic violence victims, which this can happen to. Psychologists believe the bond or connection begins to develop when the abuser threatens to kill them, then takes some time to decide and decides not to. The relief the victim feels transforms into feelings of gratitude for their abuser sparing their life. The victim's desire to survive overpowers their urge to hate and fear the person who has put them in this situation. So that does, when you break it down that way, makes total sense for her situation. But also I respect her choice to not be associated with the term. Yeah. But it makes sense that in that kind of situation where you're there for years your only way to survive is to cooperate yeah. and over time cooperation becomes normal that it can be p more positive feelings like with the kittens they would surprise her with um so my sources are wikipedia biography.com healthline.com britannica.com and a mercury news article from august 26 2019 by robert salonga and here is a picture of jc with oprah oh wow she looks young oh i she have like seen her before yeah yeah well you've probably seen the cover of her book which i should have loaded the photo beforehand but um the picture of her on the cover of her book which is like the missing poster picture she's just this cute little blonde with bangs right across smiling and i think believe she's standing like behind a car door like about to get into the car yeah. and they were like look and smile and she's just like smiling standing at the car that's i believe like the most used photo of her mm -hmm. wow yeah i don't even know what i would do in my life for her or something like that like it'd be so hard yeah it'd be so hard and a lot of the times like her organization would have helped her yeah so much same as elizabeth smart i don't know if you're aware of that or her organization but she has gone on to help so many other um kidnapping and domestic abuse and violence victims like lots of people do um and that's their way of coping is to help other people who went through what yeah. they went through yeah but it'd be so hard too because it's such an individual experience mm, yeah. especially a stranger abduction like yeah. lots of 
most people who are abducted are abducted by someone they know even if just someone they know a little bit but for it to be a stranger abduction is so different and that's why her what she does and what elizabeth smart does that's why their organizations and their work is so important because they are able to get out there and fundraise and help people who went through what they went through yeah like i don't know as much about jc's foundation i don't think it's quite as active as elizabeth smart's is but elizabeth smart has a podcast she'll travel to help them like she's been able to raise Mm -hmm. a lot of funds to help other victims and that's also her way of healing i know too like i was listening to an episode of my favorite murder where they had a stranger abduction survivor on who she had actually been kidnapped by a serial killer he turned out to be a serial killer she didn't know he killed like three or four at least three women before him it might have been four that they're aware of but i know it was at least three and she managed to escape and she talked about how years later well maybe not years but a bit later she met elizabeth smart and she was interviewed by elizabeth smart and that was the very first time she actually felt like someone knew what she was talking about because that probably was the first time because elizabeth smart was abducted and held for i don't think it was less than a year i think it was a few weeks maybe a month or two it wasn't super duper long but she was held captive as well by a stranger and his wife for a while yeah but it's just because like not a lot of people have gone through something like that so to mm-hmm. actually talk to someone who has is probably such a relief yes definitely yeah regardless of how long it was for sure i'm just trying to think of all the like i feel like the stranger abductions are the ones we hear about the most because they're the most shocking you don't hear as much about the yeah, like dad who didn't return the kid home yeah, yeah that's like you don't hear about those ones as much because i guess they're just not as shocking and scary yeah but there's yeah there's jc there's elizabeth smart there's i can't remember the name let me look it should be in my podcast of episodes i've listened to recently of her name they interviewed her kara robinson chamberlain she was yeah i don't remember her like details other than what they talked about on that episode because that episode came out in july 28th and it's been 20 years since she was kidnapped but she was a young teen i think 13 or 14 and was held for weeks or months by this guy who was a serial killer um and she talked about how yeah like she did her first interview with elizabeth smart and then they had like one talk which was a program elizabeth smart did and um there was a group of them there was like five or six of them and they were all survivors of stranger abductions Mm -hmm. and she said it was just such a positive experience to be in a room with all these other women who knew exactly how she felt thank you for listening to this week's episode of disturbed minds please like and subscribe wherever you listen and don't forget to follow the show on instagram for show details and more at Disturbed Minds Pod, that's D-I-S-T-U-R-B-E-D-M-I-N-D-S-P-O-D.